This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the Word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the Tuesday program. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. And this is the Word to Stand On for Life, a program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering your Bible questions, questions about stuff going on in your life, anything and everything that's on your heart. I'll do the best I can. You need only to call us. You can dial 210-340-9585. That's 340-9585. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR, numerically at 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com, or you can use our free Calvary Chapel of San Antonio mobile app. And remember, if you are driving in your car, the safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app. Just hit the Call Now banner at the top of the screen. Everything else is hands-free, and you'll be safe. It's Tuesday. Don't have anything to talk about, so I can get right to questions. The first one comes from John, and he asks, How practically do we examine ourselves daily, as we're told in 2 Corinthians 13, 5? Um, John, this is one of those things where um, to be effective, examining your heart, you've got to be walking in the Spirit. Um, You do that by being in the Word. You do that by being in prayer. But most importantly, you do that just by hanging out with the Lord. He is uh, the truth. Uh, The Holy Spirit is called the Spirit of Truth uh, in one place in our New Testament. Um, So you've just got to be willing to open your heart. Um, I think it's a matter of every day letting the Word sort of wash your insides and you saying, Lord, I need to examine my heart to make sure that I'm in fellowship with you. I want to make sure there's nothing standing between us. I want all the sin to go. So, Lord, if you know of anything uh, in me that is 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 quenching the Spirit, uh, point it out. And then, of course, uh, John, God knows your heart in terms of of how willing you are to be obedient when he touches something in your heart. And I think it's just something that we need to do every day. I think there's another um, um, part to this as well, John, and that's being aware as you go throughout the day of the things that you're doing that are displeasing to the Lord. The, the language you use, the tone of voice, uh, the, the cynicism or the, the, the criticism that you might have toward other people. I think one of the things we have to start doing is we learn to uh, look at people, giving them the benefit of the doubt instead of trying to protect ourselves 
and being on guard against them. I think those are the kind of things that we need to be able to do throughout the day. It's taking thoughts captive. You know, the enemy is always going to be around. He's always going to bring these thoughts and and uh, put them in your mind and heart. Uh, and you have to take those captive and make the choice to make them obedient to the Lord. So it's a lot of things, but, but mostly, John, I say all the time on this program, just be with Jesus, and then you know that you're in that, that good place. That's It's very, very important. You know, today I watched something. I won't go into the details. But somebody sent me a link on a um, a very well-known ministry who's going through some really difficult times uh, because of some sin. Uh, and uh, two of the people, a man and his wife, uh, who are an integral part of that ministry, um, were, were um, on the air uh, publicly repenting and apologizing, um, expecting nothing from people. I realize people can't forgive us. Uh, that's okay. We don't deserve it. However, we want to extend to you our deepest sympathies for the, the actions that we have been guilty of. Um, you know, see, that's a man, John, who's examined his heart. And because he's examined his heart, then then now nothing stands between him and the Lord. If humans are still going to hold things against them, then that's what that's that's up to them. But the truth of the matter is, is there's now nothing standing between him and the Lord. And not only is his conscience clear, but his heart is in the right place. And God can continue to minister to him and speak to him and then also work through him. So I hope that um, makes sense to you, John. Um, Just being open. Too often, I think, we get in that place where we uh, start to listen for the Holy Spirit and then we sort of cut him off. Because he starts putting his finger, spiritually, figuratively speaking, rather, putting his finger on things that we are not ready for him to touch yet. And it's just a matter of keeping your heart clean before the Lord. Gail says, Pastor Ron, do we have any biblical hope of our pets being in heaven? Gail, you don't. You don't. Now, here's something that we need to, to understand. God is the giver of gifts, and all of the gifts that he gives are really, really good gifts. So your dog, your cats, whatever pets you have, they were given to you by God or available to you because of God for you to enjoy. And you got a bunch of years worth of enjoyment. They enriched your life. And and that's Jesus sort of saying, I did that because I love you. Gail, um, as you may have heard me say on this program, Paul and I, uh, we had a dog for 15 years. And finally, things got so bad, we had to have him uh, put to sleep. And it was it was just one of the most difficult times of our life. This is a huge dog, and he was such a part of our lives. And, um, you know, I never, um, I never thought about him being in heaven. But I was able to enjoy him every single day, and that was a gift from God. God used that dog in so many ways. In fact, Gail, um, when it was time for him um, to, um, when we started thinking about when's it, when it was time to put him down, um, I, I remember asking the Lord to give me the, the right timing. And God used that dog to teach us, Paula and me, 
to teach us how to take care of the people that he's going to bring to our church. We were brand new here in Texas. Um, uh, we'd been here a year, year and a half. Um, and we had to care for this dog. We had to carry him up and down the steps of the apartment we lived in. He's 120 pounds, and we had to put him in this big comforter, and and we would take him up and down the stairs. And when he'd come in from being out there, Paula would turn him upside down on the kitchen floor, the tile in there, and, and, and take the fleas off him one by one. If there were any ticks or anything else, we, we just said take care of him. Um, his back legs weren't working toward the end, and uh, I had to hold him up while he went to the bathroom, and we had to clean him up. And when all that was done and we finally had to put him down, I remember this very emotional conversation with the Lord. I knew it was time. And people started asking, well, do you, we'd love to get you another dog. And, and, and just said, no, the Lord, it was very clear. He said, he used, our dog's name was Moto. He used Moto to teach us how to care for someone we really loved. And then he asked us to care for his church, his people that way. And so, again, figuratively speaking, we've been picking off fleas and ticks and cleaning them up and helping them get through their messes and things like that for 25 years, almost 26 years. And it's been a wonderful, wonderful gift that God gave us. Not only was the dog our friend, part of our family, we loved him so much, but but he was an instrument through whom God prepared us. So no biblical hope of your pet being in heaven but the one thing that you can be assured of is that when you get to heaven, Jesus is going to ask you, how did you enjoy? And then he's going to put the name of your pet right there. It was his gift. I think enjoying something in this life, Gail, is enough. Three four zero ninety five eighty five. Patricia says, since all people are created in the image of God and we're all God's children, how can I reconcile the same God sending some of his children to hell? Um, Patricia, the truth is we're not all God's children. We all are created by God, for sure. And, and when I say created, we're created by the process um, that, that God used for for multiplication, for procreation. Uh, God created Adam and Eve. Other than that, everybody else is a function um, of, of the, the creation process, the, the, the having babies. To be God's child, you've got to be in the family. You know, you've got children, Patricia, living in your neighborhood, but they're not your children. They're your neighbor's children. If something happened to your neighbor and you adopted them, then they would become your children. So we've got to get over this sort of nostalgic idea that we're all God's children because we are not. Now, we're all created in the image of God. Um image bearers. Some people say I don't typically like that term, but it means that we're going to live forever somewhere. It also means that we have the choice of where that is. God is a God of choice. He chooses us. We have to choose him. We're all going to live somewhere forever. We either live with God or we live separate from God. One we call heaven, one we call hell. And if we live separate from God for eternity, God didn't send us to hell. It's what we chose. Jesus said in 
John chapter 3 in his famous narrative with Nicodemus. Jesus said that when we're born, we are born condemned already. So there's no one that deserves heaven. We're all sinners. Sin separates us from God. But God loved you so much that he sends his son to die for your sins. And all you have to do is receive the gift. Believe by faith. You don't have to do anything. You're not on probation. You just have to believe. And every human being on this earth gets to make that choice. And what God does in terms of eternity, Patricia, is God honors the choice that we make on earth. He honors that choice in eternity. If we choose to serve, uh, to, to, to be independent from God, uh on earth while we are alive, then God will honor that choice of independence in eternity. That's all it is. If we choose to to spend our time with him here, then he'll honor that choice and we'll spend forever with him in heaven as well. So Patricia, I hope that makes sense to you. It's it's a, a very important concept. Let's go to line one and talk with John in San Antonio. John, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hey, Pastor Ron, I got a question about John 3, 5, when Jesus is talking to Nicodemus, and he says that uh, we must be reborn by the uh, water and in spirit. Uh, mm-hmm. Can you uh, elaborate a little bit on what he's referring to in the water? Is he talking about natural trial birth, or is he talking about the washing of the Word, uh, that water? Uh, could you help me understand a little bit better? I can, I can, John. In fact, the next verse, uh, Jesus tells you what it is. He said uh, in, in the sixth verse, flesh gives birth to flesh and spirit gives birth to spirit. So the only thing that it can mean is uh, with, with, with born of, of water is natural childbirth. It, it doesn't mean the water or the word, although the water or the word is, is used symbolically and in context when it is, it is clear that that's what it is. But this is a completely different conversation. So John, all he's saying is, and again, he interprets it himself. Flesh gives birth to flesh. So the natural childbirth or the birth by water is the birth of the flesh, the normal way uh, people are created or, or, or are born entering this world. And then he says in his spirit gives birth to spirit. And he's talking about then the second birth or the rebirth in Christ. So that's all he means. It's not more complicated than this. I think sometimes, John, we get confused because there are other people who who try to overcomplicate um, um, what Jesus is saying. Well, you know, sometimes it means being washed by the water of the word. That's not at all what the context is. So Jesus answers uh, your question in the very next verse, John chapter 3, verse 6. And then, of course, verse 7, he follows that up by saying to Nicodemus, you of all people shouldn't be surprised when I say you must be born again. So, John, that's all it means. And uh, you're, you were right the first time. Natural birth is referred to. And then the uh, second birth is the birth of the Spirit. Uh, and I think most of us, John, remember that time when we were born again. Funny story, really quick one uh, for John and for the audience. Uh, uh, Paul and I went to lunch after church on Sunday. 
And there was a young couple that we noticed. They, they, we didn't know them, but they were noticed very, very young. They were noticed uh, in church. And so he, I saw him waving at me, and I waved back And uh, as they got closer. So I said, well, why don't you guys join us for lunch? And uh, so we sat down and started to talk to him. And the girl, a young, beautiful girl, she was so precious, but she was really shy. And uh, her and Paula were talking, and, and Paula said, so are you born again? When were you born again? And she knew the date. She knew the time. She knew the circumstances. Uh, that that birth uh, of the Spirit is such a special time, and we need always to remember that with a grateful heart. So good question, John. Thank you very, very much. Neil asks, in John chapter 10, Jesus says there are other sheep. Uh, does that refer to Jehovah's Witnesses? Um, Neil, no, not at all. Um, I know Jehovah's Witnesses often say that they are the other sheep, and what they really mean is that they're the special sheep. Um, but the reference there is very clear. Uh, that's Gentiles. Uh, Jesus said, I came to the lost house of Israel. Um, that was to whom Jesus was sent. But uh, he makes two different references. John 10 is one of them where there are other sheep or the King James is sheep that are not of this sheepfold. Uh, and by that, he's referring to Gentiles, non-Jews throughout the course of history. Jesus didn't come for the Gentiles. That will happen in the book of Acts. It begins in chapter 10 of the book of Acts, uh, Peter and Cornelius. Uh, but in this particular case, Neil, he is referring only to Gentiles and not to Jehovah's Witnesses at all. Here is a question from Gary. Gary says, if a woman divorces her husband without biblical grounds, would she be put under church discipline? Um, Gary, yeah, I think most churches um, would would place a woman who divorced, or a man for that matter, who divorced without biblical grounds under church discipline. Now, typically, um, they don't accept the church discipline. That's just the way of the world. Um, but um, but she should. Um, and we've had situations where both men and women uh, just wanted to be happy. They wanted to be rid of their spouse. Uh, and and uh, they they would come to us for our blessing, and we would say, well, well, is he physically abusive? Has he cheated on you? No, I just we just don't get along. He's just not a godly man, or or she's not a godly woman. Uh, when in reality, the, the problem is almost always that there's somebody else they're interested in. Uh, but yeah, we would put them under uh, under church discipline, and by that I mean we wouldn't tell the whole church about it. But what we would say to him is, look, you're you're really playing around with something dangerous here. You say you're a Christian. Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey me. And you've already made up your mind that you don't care what Jesus says about this. And we have had situations where we've had to ask people who were unrepentant, willfully unrepentant, to stop coming to the church. And, and then, of course, we just pray for them. One other thing here, Gary. Um... You know, a lot of times, um, and, and my experience is typically with men, uh, when when a wife leaves a husband, uh, the husband's been a jerk for years and years and years, uh, and, and then suddenly she leaves him and then he gets remorse. You know, well, well, I want her back. She's not supposed to divorce me. Um, the next sentence in that passage is, but if she does, Paul is a realist. 
the Holy Spirit writing through Paul is a realist, uh, a realist. And and um, God always knew there were going to be people who weren't going to be obedient. That doesn't mark them. That doesn't put them outside of their salvation. It just means that if she does, there are going to be consequences. And in this particular case, the consequence is living single for the rest of her life. And typically, those people don't uh, pay attention to that either. It's amazing to me that, that in, in the instance I just talked about, when a man will come and say, but but uh, but I want her back. I can't believe that you're just not doing anything you, to tell her she can't divorce me. We, we tell people what they can and can't do all the time, but they don't listen. But I like to ask the man in this case, and, and this has uh, happened over the years many, many times, well, well, when God told you not to be a jerk and you were a jerk for how long? Why did you do that? Well, well, now I'm sorry. Well, I understand that, but there are consequences to the choices that we make in life. So, Gary, yeah, she would be put under church discipline. Um, said on this program before that church discipline is um, kind of a difficult thing in our church culture because typically they'll just get mad at me, tell people that, well, they, they're not a loving church, and they'll go find another church and, and just... Blend in like nothing ever happened. But that's between them and the Lord. It's our responsibility to do what we're supposed to do. Here is a question from Peter. He said, how much of this life will we remember in heaven? And what about loved ones who didn't get to heaven? Um, Peter, I think what we're going to remember in heaven, remember there's going to be no sorrow, no pain, no tears. So I think... What we're going to remember of this life are the things that we did that brought Jesus glory, the things that we received crowns for. Certainly, we're going to remember those things. Um, uh, Paula, for example, will remember that that she's my wife or was my wife on earth, and we're going to hang out together forever. That's 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 certain. Um, but I, but I don't think beyond that, when we get into a completely new order of things. I don't think the things of this life are going to matter much. Beyond getting the rewards, I think we're going to be so in awe of what God has for us. No eye has seen, no ear has heard what God has prepared for those who love him. And I I just don't think much of this life will matter. Now, with regard to family members, loved ones, who didn't get saved and didn't make it to heaven, uh, we're not going to remember them at all, because that would be sad. In Luke chapter 16, when Lazarus, the beggar, and the rich man could could see one another, they could actually communicate uh, across that gulch. Imagine how horrible it would be in heaven if we could know that our loved ones were suffering eternal torment. So the former things will not be remembered, we're told. The past is gone. The old is gone, the new has come, and we really will. I call it a sort of a holy brain swipe. We we just won't remember those things. We will see Peter once we get to heaven and we see Jesus, and, and our sin nature is no longer active. We're going to see the absolute fairness and justice and holiness and goodness of God. And so there won't be even a thought that by... Uh, someone that we cared about not making it to heaven that God was 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 unkind or God was was unjust. So we won't remember them. No sorrow, no pain, no tears. Um, 
I obsess a lot, Peter, over people that I deeply care about. One of the things that I tell people in sin all the time is, look, I don't want to think about heaven without you. So please repent. Please get right with God. And most often they don't. Sometimes they do. Sometimes they will later repent, return, which is a wonderful thing. We need to remember that God is completely good, completely fair. And we won't have the questions there that we have here. Last question for this half of the program. We'd love your live calls and questions. 340-9585. Here is Shelby's call, her question. She says, is it always wrong to lie even if it is for a good reason? Um, Shelby, God doesn't need us to lie to accomplish his purpose. So yeah, it's always wrong to lie. Now when we lie, we lie because our faith is weak. We lie because we're looking things from the perspective of earth. You know, even the little lies, well, how do I look? Oh, I think you look beautiful. Well, you know, you don't have to say those things. Um, I get asked all the time about Santa Claus. Well, it's, I, I think that's a horrible thing. Lie for a parent to tell a child. But we do it because it's the culture that we live in. But I think it's always wrong to lie. Jesus said that the devil was the father of lies, the originator of lies. And when we lie, we're speaking his language. Is it ever okay to speak the devil's language? So it's always wrong to lie. And I think we who are believers ought then to be truth tellers in all things. doesn't mean we have to be blunt. It doesn't mean we have to offend people. But we need to be kind and tell the truth. Hey, we've got 30 minutes left in the Tuesday show, 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. We'll be back in two minutes. Don't have time to call into the Word to Stand On for Life? No problem. If you've got questions, you can email them to Pastor Ron at PastorRonKSLR at gmail.com. That's PastorRonKSLR at gmail.com. Welcome back to the Word to Stand On for Life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back to the program, 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Here is a question from our email inbox from Ann. Uh, Oh, actually, not a question. She says, no question, Pastor Ron, but a comment. Listen to your program today, March 1st. That would be yesterday's program. And appreciated your comments about Paula and her role. Appreciate your comments about not discussing with each other about the people you're counseling or if someone is upset with you. It demonstrates integrity and is so refreshing. Praying for you and your witness and boldness of speaking the truth. Enjoyed the entire program today. Your salt and light. And I thank God for you. And... I don't know who you are, but God bless you. Thank you so very, very much. That was really, really nice. I think maybe Paul and I are going to talk a little bit more on Thursday's program about 
uh, about her role and and some of the things, the issues that we we spoke about yesterday. I can't imagine um, anybody being comfortable with the things that they share privately in counseling with anybody else without their permission. And I let people know I won't tell Paula what's going on. And, and some people, oh, you can tell her, you can tell her. And then, of course, we'll talk about it. But but, but never without permission. And um, um, that, that would always be something that was initiated by the counselee rather than the counselor. And God bless you. Thank you. You know, um, word of encouragement. You have the gift of encouragement. Thanks very, very much. Here is a question from David. Um, I could never stop my drug addiction uh, in my own strength. I got saved and was able to stop, but I'm ashamed that I couldn't stop on my own. Is God disappointed in me? Um, David, one of the things that we have to learn um, is that there's nothing that we can do in our own strength. You know, I gave my life to Jesus, David, and I really want you to hear this. I gave my life to Jesus when I had already ruined everything in my life. I would love to have been able to say that, that boy, when everything was going great and I had plenty, um, I, I still gave my life to Jesus. I didn't. I, I had to wait till everything was stripped away. And the devil used to tell me that, that God was disappointed in me because I only came to him uh, as a last resort. God doesn't care. And David, the truth is, uh, especially with addictions, but but it's true with lesser things, there's nothing good that we can do in our own strength. So don't be ashamed that you couldn't stop on your own. That's an opportunity for you to rejoice and celebrate the goodness and the power of God. I love the fact that, that God can do what I can't do, that he wants to do what I can't do, And I hate the fact that sometimes in my flesh I get in his way because there are things that I think I can handle. So David, not only is God not disappointed in you, and you've put a smile on his face, you realize that you need Jesus for everything. And there's nothing that we can do that has any value apart from Christ. There's nothing good that we can do. And the sooner we realize that, the closer to Jesus we'll be able to be. Thank you, David. Don't listen to the lies of the devil. Caesar says, I know many Christians around the world are encountering persecution and starvation. Why do you think God would allow that? Well, David, the Bible is clear in principle that the sun rises and sets on the just and the unjust alike. So persecution is a fact of life in this fallen world. And and I don't know why we as Christians would believe that we're somehow exempt from that. Ask Stephen, the first martyr of the church. Stephen, when he saw Jesus standing at the right hand of God with his arms extended to receive the first martyr of the church into heaven, Stephen never said, well, this isn't fair. Why did you allow this? James, the first of the apostles, to be martyred for their faith. James was one of Jesus' inner circle. He wasn't spared anything, nor did he expect to be spared anything. And most importantly, Jesus himself, if the Son of God didn't escape persecution, 
Why do we believe that we should? Now, Caesar, I would suggest that you're listening to really bad teaching. Open your Bible, read the story, sort of get in the story as an observer. Look all around. You're going to see that persecution just happens. And that persecution, as Jesus goes through it with us, makes us more and more like him. Paul, in writing to the churches in Philippi, he said he considered it an honor to suffer, to share in the fellowship of Jesus' sufferings. So persecution is normal, and Jesus said they hated me, they're going to hate you. They insulted me, they're going to insult you. A teacher, not the student, the teacher is above the student, not the other way around. So God just doesn't stop it, but he's always promised to be there with us in the middle of it. Caesar, even Jesus himself said that he could have called down 12 legions of angels to prevent his own crucifixion. But he chose not to do it, and he said that he did it for the joy set before him, thinking of you and thinking of me. So um, the idea that if we're being faithful to God, if we're doing what we're supposed to do, then bad stuff isn't going to happen is not a biblical concept at all. So Caesar, I hope you take that into your heart. Stanley wants to know, Pastor Ron, how would you suggest I minister to a friend who rejects God because of the presence of evil? Where did evil come from if God is good? Stanley, these are questions your friend is asking you. Um, These are sophomoric questions. I mean, these are basic uh, questions. And and these are questions that if if your friends would would open the word, if if they would go to God with these questions, I promise you he would give them answers. Um, Why do you reject God? Because people rebelled against God. Evil is present. God made uh, the devil. He made angels um, and and Satan and a third of the angels that, that saw God in his beauty, in his wholeness, in his goodness. A third of them rebelled against him. God didn't cause that. He gave them a choice. Lucifer, who is Satan, did not want to worship God. He wanted to be worshipped as God. That's where evil came from. But you see, whenever God gives his created beings, angels had a one-time-only choice. We humans can choose and re-choose every day. But God honors our choices. And when we make the bad ones, when, when we do the evil thing, we can't blame him. And it's not a reflection on his goodness. When we choose evil, Stanley, it's a reflection of our sinfulness. So that's where evil came from. It came from the devil. Uh, we inherited the sin nature from our federal forefather, Adam. Um And if somebody says, well, there's so much evil, if God is good, why is there evil? That's not an honest question at all. If it's an honest question, they would go to the Lord himself and say, show me why. Again, we've got to get away from this idea that 
this is a good world and people are basically good at heart and bad things shouldn't happen. And if there is a loving God, it's his job to stop it. One day, Stanley, and you can tell your friend this looking him straight in the eye or looking her straight in the eye. You can say one day soon, God is going to end all of the evil. He's not ending it today because he's patient and willing that any appointed for salvation would perish. But one day, your desire for a world without evil is going to be granted. Now, where are you going to be on that day? And it's a great opportunity for them to say, well, well I'm, going to, I'm going to be with God. Well, what makes you think? And typically they'll answer because I'm a good person or I don't hurt anybody. I, I try to, 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 to live a good life. But they already know because the Holy Spirit's knocking at the door of their heart. They already know that they're missing something. And that would be a good opportunity. So Stanley, be direct. Don't apologize for evil. Why blame God for the evil in this world? It's an amazing thing when people ask questions like that, at least from my perspective. Here is a question from Lance. He says, I'm reading a lot from those who believe that we can attain sinlessness. They can be convincing. What are your thoughts? Lance, um, the Apostle John answers that question for you. If anybody says he is without sin or she, they're a liar and the truth isn't in him. We will attain sinlessness only, only when we stand before Jesus with a glorified, resurrected, physical body like his. No sin nature. And Lance, the whole idea of, of, of attaining sinless perfection is born of pride. There's an old story. I think it was D.L. Moody. Somebody was chastising him because he taught that we're all sinners and we need to repent of our sins daily. And Moody asked the man talking to him, he said, well, why do you think that? Well, the Bible, he went on this. And so D.L. Moody, who had a cup of water in his hand, just threw the water in his face. And the guy just went off on Moody and Moody said, well, I guess you haven't reached sinlessness yet, have you? Now, it's a pretty dramatic way of making the point, but, but, but Lance, that's heresy. It directly contradicts the Bible every time you'll talk to somebody who is advancing that doctrine. They're making these illogical leaps. Uh, truth is, we have power over sin. The power is we need never sin, but the result is that we sometimes will because... Though the spirit is willing, the flesh is weak. So those are my thoughts, Lance. Don't listen. Don't get involved in arguments or discussions with them. There is simply no point to it. Here is Anonymous, and I think I'm, I'm sensing a cynical question here. He wants to know, do you personally give all your money to the poor? <laughs> um, Anonymous, I could sort of say yes, because I'm poor. Um, believe me, um, I, I don't make very much money and I don't say that. I mean, I'm, I'm thrilled to be able to do that, to, to be able to say that. But but no, I, you know, we've got a house and we've got food and we've got bills and things like that. So no, not all of my money goes to the poor. 
um, when Jesus said that to the rich young ruler, um, Jesus said that because the rich young ruler, um, his little G God was his money. And Jesus basically saying, if you want to go to heaven with me, then you got to get rid of everything that keeps you away from me. Sell everything you have, give to the poor and follow me. But that wasn't a command for all of us. I realize when I get a question like this that there are a lot of pastors who make a lot of money and live way above the means of the people in their churches. I think that is wrong. I think it's horrible. Um, We are all of us going to stand before God to give account of what we do with the money that comes through our churches. Uh, And I personally, Anonymous, don't believe that that, um, pastors ought to live at a a level above the median average of the people in the church. But who am I to judge another man's servant? They're going to stand before God and and answer to, 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 to him for what they've done, the choices they've made. I'm only going to stand before Jesus and answer for the choices I made. So if you're looking for a hypocrisy alert here, um, Paul and I live very uh, moderate lives. We are thrilled and content to be able to do it. Um, I don't know how much you know about my story, but I used to be really wealthy. Uh, I made it all myself. Nobody gave me anything. I worked really, really hard. Um, But I was the most miserable human on planet Earth. Though I could buy anything I wanted. I was miserable and I made Paul miserable and my kids were miserable and um, I've been rich and I've been poor and at least in my case, poor has been better. Now, I got nothing against money. I'm thrilled that there are some really, really wealthy Christians who God has given the gift of, of giving to and, 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 and just given generous hearts to. We support a lot of ministry, including ministry here at Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. But um, the little bit of money I take, um, we need and uh, we use it for that, and and we also give uh, from that source of money as well. Thank you for the question, Anonymous. Let's go to Bulfuri and talk with our friend Greg on line one. Greg, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hey, Pastor Ron. Good to, good to hear you. Thank um, you. Yeah, I, I prayed for prayer. I asked for prayer last week, and uh, it was a tough week, but I'm coming on the other side of my situation, so I appreciate that. Praise the Lord. Um, you were talking about angels earlier, and I was kind of not quite sure of how God worked this out. Do angels, do all angels have, do they have free choice, or just certain angels have free choice? Yeah, Greg, they, they all had the opportunity to make a choice of their own free will one time. With angels, unlike humans, uh, we, we get to review daily what we do, but the angels who stood in the presence of God. Remember, they were created by him and for him, and they would have access to him all the time. They would see his holiness, experience his goodness firsthand. And so when Satan was permitted or Lucifer was permitted to tempt the angels and one-third of them fell, it was a one-time-only choice. So the angels who kept their first estate, those who continued to worship and serve God, the two-thirds, Uh, They made their once-forever choice. Likewise, the angels who fell and became demons 
they made their once and forever choice. So it was just a one-time choice. They don't get a reboot. Uh, they, they don't get an opportunity to make another choice. Um, their, their, their eternity is already certain. So uh, that was the nature of the choice. But, but just like humans, they had to make their own choice. God likewise gives humans free will. Uh, today you can choose to serve the Lord. Tomorrow you can choose not to. You get to do that and we live with the consequences. But God allows us, as long as we are, are alive, as long as there's breath, God allows us to make the choice daily to repent and come to him. That help, Greg? Appreciate it. That does. Uh-huh. I appreciate it. Take, take care. Right, God Thanks. bless. It's not a pressure for the angels, huh? You know, Jesus said, too much is given, much is required, much more is required, is the idea there. And those who were created directly by God and saw him in ways that you and I will never be able to see him, they, that's, that's a big test right there. Imagine what a nervous moment that was for those angels who started to listen to, to Lucifer, who happened to be uh, the most beautiful and along with Michael, the archangel, the most powerful of all of God's created angels? Good question. Jesse wants to know, Pastor Ron, are you familiar with the Equality Act now going to Congress for approval? And then he said one word, scary. Uh, Jesse, yeah, I'm vaguely familiar with it. Now, I've got to tell you, I am, although I was a journalism major in college and I've been a news junkie, and I mean this literally since I was a very, very small kid. I always had this insatiable curiosity about things that were going on. I need to know. Uh, I'm really not watching much news uh, in these last days. I'm trying to keep my mind and my heart in the place where it can be used best to honor the Lord. So I've I've sort of read the bullet points of the Equality Act. I understand that if the Equality Act is voted in as law... Uh, first of all, it would be tested by the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court has ruled uh, repeatedly throughout the, the, the decades that we have the right uh, as religious organizations to um, to uh, be consistent in, in our hiring and firing practices. But if this ever gets signed into law and if they expand the Supreme Court and and overrule the Supreme Court rulings, what it will mean very simply is that a church will not be able to say no uh, to somebody who wants to uh, apply for a job uh, if they're living a homosexual lifestyle or if they're transgender. Um, um, We won't be able to say no because that would be considered a violation of the Equality Act. Um, It means you could actually interview uh, a man um, hire him on the first day of this job. He shows up uh, dressed like a woman and looking like a woman. And while that's not really who you uh, hired at all, uh, you, you couldn't refuse them um, that, that that being hired. So uh, I hope that uh, that answers your question. It is scary. Uh, it shows you how far we have fallen. And I think really, uh, Jesse. Um, we live in a time, Isaiah 5 prophesied about when good is called evil and evil is called good, and we are there right now. Okay, we're inside the last five minutes. So let me see what we've got here for. Um, this is from our email inbox from Kirby. Pastor Ron, I know you already taught Genesis 30, 
But what caught me off guard, and I don't know if you elaborate on this, but what can we read into what, into or what can we learn and apply to our modern lives? The section where Jacob took fresh cut branches and made white stripes on them by peeling the bark to affect how the sheep and goats would reproduce. How did he know how to do that? Is that something that can be done now? Or was this God intervening so that Jacob had the provisions to move on from Laban and get back to Canaan? Uh, Generally speaking, Kirby, the answer to your questions is yes. Now, there was nothing magic about the process. Um, God gave, we we read uh, earlier that God gave Jacob a dream and told him what to do. But this was just God saying to Jacob, I'm I'm going to protect you. I'm going to be here for you. And I'll make sure if you walk with me, do what I ask you to do, that you won't be cheated again. And and Laban would, would, would change his wages and, and try to take all of the, the, uh, the, the dark or speckled animals uh, and, and, and sort of stack the deck against Jacob, but, but it just wasn't something that was going to happen. The one thing that we can't, there, there's no um, method or scheme uh, that we can take from this. The, the The practical lesson for us, Kirby, is that um, we need only to be obedient to God, to trust him, to walk with him, and he'll take care of us in those situations. Thank you very, very much, Kirby. Appreciate the question. Let's go to our last phone call. Ray on line one. Ray, thanks for holding. You're on the air. Thanks for taking my call this late, Pastor Ron. But this is Hi, a Ray. real quick one. I saw um, the governor say that uh, next Wednesday he was opening up uh, Texas, all of the, all the businesses and and he was also uh, dropping the uh, statewide mask uh, mandate next Wednesday. What is next Wednesday? Is that uh, the, <laughs> the one coming up here, or is that another week? Yeah, it's, it's the 10th. And I'm going to listen on the radio. Okay, Ray, thank you. It's March 10th. I have been getting inundated with emails and phone calls uh, about this since the governor's press conference. Um, but uh, it's it's a week from tomorrow. Uh, from that day forward, the mask requirement in Texas is lifted, and local authorities cannot override um, the governor's statements or the governor's uh, executive order unless there is a seven-day period of time, seven consecutive days, where the uh, hospital occupancy rates go above, I think the, the number is 15%. So it's not like he can say, uh, we're going to do this, and then uh, our mayor or our judge, County Judge Wolf, uh, will be able to say, well, well, we're going to still insist and enforce that. It's an unenforceable law. The governor is the final word in the state, and I thank God for him, Ray. I really do. I really am grateful that he had the courage to do it. Businesses need to get back. Uh, functioning people have a right to make a living. Um, we have been under this. I, I, I just read something before the emails and, and messages started coming in that uh, uh, Dr. Fauci said that, you know, it looks like we're going to have to be wearing masks through 2022 now. 
And uh, thank God that we live in Texas and have a, a governor of courage. Uh, we will um, make masks optional. If people want to wear them, we're certainly not going to tell them they can't. But um, we're going to tell people that if they want to come to church maskless a week from tomorrow, they're more than welcome to do it. And I thank God, Ray. I thank God for it. Hey, thanks for tuning in. You've been listening to The Word to Stand On for Life. Lord willing, I'll be back tomorrow at 4 o'clock on AM 630, The Word. Have a wonderful evening serving Jesus. We'll see you tomorrow. Bye-bye. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Calvary.